This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, Season 9, Episode 12. Welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network, brought to you by Guns.com. Today is Friday, October 13th, 2023, as of the recording of this episode, and I am your host, Riley Bowman, joined today by co-host and president of Concealed Carry, Inc., Jacob Paulson. Glad to be here. It's been a while, I think, for me. has been a while. Yeah, what's up with that? almost like you've been busy or something no no busier than anybody else busy and also your internet sucks bro (laughs) (laughs) certainly either my wi-fi or my laptop or the combination of the two suck yeah took us a while to get set up today but hey we're here Uh, i know it's friday uh friday the 13th of all things my daughter made sure to text me uh earlier today saying it's friday the 13th then she sent all the like spooky emojis which i thought was pretty funny uh anyway hopefully you are you are all well and safe wherever you are um some interesting things going on in the world and we're going to be kind of using that as some inspiration for today's episode before we get into that i do want to mention that today's episode sponsors are ccw safe It's our choice for the best legal representation protection. Check out ccwsafe.com today if you're considering signing up for some sort of legal defense program. And then also, we want to bring your attention to our brand new, we just had them, I think, for sale for the first time at the 2023 Guardian Conference, the Mountain Man Medical Be Ready Sun Shirts. You can find them on the uh, website, mountmanmedical.com forward slash sunshirt, uh, or under the merch category on that site. Mountain Medical, hey, we, we, we talk about being prepared and plugging holes and putting on tourniquets, but keeping your skin protected from sun and from cancer ultimately, also super important. So, uh, well, thanks to our sponsors and thanks to our title sponsor again guns.com you know we just mentioned the last episode it's kind of the um, relatively new thing and we're thankful for our sponsors that make this possible uh, or else we may not be here so today's episode um, I kind of brought this one up with you Jacob I said hey I've been seeing a lot of chatter recently you know with this whole Israel Hamas you know war in the Middle East Um, of course everyone's familiar with ongoings in Ukraine, which has been going on for a while now. I think people have been probably less focused on that, at least especially for a while now. But this whole thing in uh, Israel just kind of came out of nowhere. Um, You know, there's been conflict uh, there in, you know, in the Israel-Palestine area for a long time. Uh, So, like, that's not anything new. But just, but what is new is this sudden and unannounced, unprovoked uh, series of attacks uh, that just kind of came from nowhere. Uh, I think last Saturday is I think when everything kind of kicked off. And uh, what I think is particularly notable, Jacob, is it seems to be less focused around attacking of military or military installations, 
at least of these, you know, these initial attacks on Israel, um, and more or less focused on attacking civilians, which is uncool for sure. I mean, it's a terrible, terrible thing. And so, um, yeah, a lot of people recently I've seen Jacob talking about, Hey, you know, uh, things could get crazy here in the States. Uh, and I think one of the things people look at is wondering about where, who all these people are coming across our Southern border. Uh, and if, you know, there's, um, terrorists coming across the Southern border, I definitely think that's a possibility. Uh, and so, you know, that led you know, the recent events led to today supposedly being proclaimed this international day of jihad. And, uh, I specifically know some people that said I'm I'm taking my truck gun or I'm taking my gun with me in my vehicle today. My meaning not their usual carry gun, but like an AR or some kind of rifle. So there you go. Truck gun. Best practice or bad form. <laughs> well, being more prepared for worser things is generally I'd say a good idea, right? Uh, I mean, <clears throat> what's going on in Israel is pretty terrifying. Uh, it's, I mean, I think if you lived in Israel, it would feel equally out of nowhere and spontaneous and also at the same time, equally like predictable, uh, based on that region and what's going on. And, you know, the, the differing of the two narratives there where Israelis feel like they're refugees in Israel, you know, kicked out of everywhere else on the planet and Hamas and Palestinians feel like they're invaders. They're in Israel and we have to get them to go away. Um, so like those differing perspectives, um, change that. But for us in the U S you know, like we're not trying to correlate some specific causation. We're just saying, Hey, crap can happen, you know, out of nowhere. And so I want to be as prepared as I can to deal with those things. And, and certainly, you know, that crap could be a terrorist threat. We, I mean, we've had terrorist attacks, uh, here in America in different forms over, over the years, but, uh, you know, we've never been invaded. So, yeah, what does that look like? And some to would what say that that's debatable. Uh, I suppose that's true. Some would What's say that is the southern border might be considered an invasion. I, I suppose that's true, and I should <laughs> I should clarify that by some definitions, I would agree that 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 could be classified as an invasion, uh, but certainly not a violent invasion. Um, at least right. not in the traditional sense that we would right. we would think of it. Yeah, we don't we don't uh, have uh, armies and tanks and stuff, right. you know, marching across the border. No one's running across the border and then running into homes and shooting the inhabitants and then going out of the next home to repeat the same. So that's not happening. Uh, but, you know, outside of that, we also have you know, domestic terrorism. We also have just whack jobs and active shooter you know, events. We have, um, you know, attacks from all sorts of political groups from, you know, white supremacist uh, outlier type people to, um you know, the opposite, the Black Lives Matters outliers. I'm not talking about the organizations or those groups. I'm saying that there are sometimes bad actors who in the name of those uh, groups commit very horrific crimes. So so we see all sorts of crazy things. And there's no doubt that that more unrest is happening than before. So the desire to, be, to want to be more prepared for bad things, uh, I think, is a valid concern. Yeah. I think depending on who you are, a number of us operate, you know, across a spectrum of call it, some people will call it preparedness and some might refer to it as paranoia. Um, I definitely have known some people that were bordering 
or actually were paranoid. Uh, I know some people are just very prepared individuals that some people would call paranoid, but I would disagree with that assessment. Um, in fact, I think that some people might look at someone like me or perhaps even you, Jacob, and be like, you guys are paranoid. I mean, I have food storage. I have water storage. I have guns and ammo. I've got, you know, all kinds of things uh, prepared in my household for all sorts of events. I will say that it was a blessing to us when the whole COVID thing kicked off and all of a sudden toilet paper and stuff disappeared off the store shelves. Uh, We weren't particularly affected by that uh, as a household because we kind of already had a pretty good supply of toilet paper in our household. Uh, Just the nature of how we operate of having, you know, we we have our, uh, you know, food that's in the, in the kitchen, but then we have and and or the kitchen pantry, but then we have a whole other larger pantry uh, usually with, and some of that's a desire to be prepared. And some of that's, just the fact that it's a household of seven people <laughs> and it's like super convenient to have 10 bottles of ketchup <laughs> down, you know, minimum down in the uh, storeroom uh, so that, uh, you know, cause, cause we're going through that kind of stuff all the time. So it's like, ah, just go grab another one. You know, of course you have to replenish that, which uh, I think we do a pretty good job of, but anyway, so different levels of, you know, across the spectrum of, prepared or paranoid or just don't care, um, apathy, uh, certainly uh, all kinds of folks uh, fit all sorts of uh, descriptions there. Uh, I, I believe and obviously ascribe to the general attitude of uh, being prepared because it's far better to be prepared, which means you kind of have a plan already in place uh, as opposed to being caught with your pants down when things go sideways and and this is true on the kind of domestic side of things, you know, like the household and family community level side of things. And also just, I mean, the fact that, Hey, this is a concealed carry podcast. If you carry a gun concealed on your person on a regular basis, that's a, that's a general attitude of preparedness of, Hey, I had this tool with me that anything could pop off just about any time, anywhere. And that might involve me. And so I carry a gun for my personal and or family's defense. Yeah. 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 I mean, to, to segue that into the truck gun concept, I think, you know, someone who's, who's trying to be prepared is trying to manage two different sides of a scale. One is probability and the other one yep. is risk level or the stakes, if you want, right? Like we, none of us carry a gun around a gun because the, the odds of needing it are high. Uh, well, maybe some of you do live in places or work in places where the odds of needing a gun are high. I don't know. Um, but I'm not a cop. I live in suburban America. The odds of me needing a gun are not high. Uh, I carry it because the stakes are high. Should I need it? Right. Uh, whereas the odds of my house being without power for, uh, you know, half a day or a day or two, I'd say th- those odds are much higher. But the risk is also much lower. That's much less likely to cause death uh, to my family. So we, you know, as we're preparing for things, we're always looking at what's the probability of this happening, but also how high is the the badness? Like, you know, what is the risk of that happening? And we're we're trying to manage, you know, those things based on that that information. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, truck guns. 
what, what, what we mean by this, like the definition, if you will, I think the de- definition can be rather broad. Um, you know, like growing up in my small, relatively rural community as a child, it was not uncommon to see Farmer John, you know, come down the road in his, you know, 1977 Chevy pickup with a with a gun rack in the you know back window and, you know, a, a shotgun and a, some kind of bolt action or lever action, you know, just like that was standard practice that that would have been those guns would have been hanging in his window all the time. Right. And, uh, you know, growing up in a community like that, it was probably relatively low risk of having those things stolen out of there. Uh, not that it couldn't have happened and not that it didn't happen to probably some, uh, similar individuals, but, uh, that was kind of, you know, the world I grew up in. And I imagine probably not all, not all that different than, uh, where you grew up, Jacob. Um, we, we see that a lot less commonly now, uh, as far as proudly displaying, you know, those, those guns in the window rack, but, uh, people, you know, will sometimes talk about having a quote unquote truck gun, uh, by that something that, uh, and sometimes it's just a, a, a handgun. And in fact, some people, the way they practice concealed carry is they just have a gun in their gu- in their car. They've got one in the center console. They've got one of those silly little, and frankly, stupid magnet, you know, things under the dash. Um, they've got a holster they screwed into the, into the door or something, you know, like I've seen all kinds of things or it's in the glove box, right? And like, that's their quote unquote concealed carry. Um, we're going to touch on, you know, the dangers of that, but, uh, you know, in a little bit here, but, um, and then for some, they have an AR 15 or some other kind of rifle or a shotgun that they transport with them in the vehicle on a regular basis. Uh, some folks may even have a, a, a relatively compact or collapsible gun that they take around with them in a backpack or some other kind of bag. Um, and, and that's actually, I think, become a pretty, a, a lot more common practice than what it used to, uh, in that a lot of folks will throw in a, a folded up, you know, rifle of some kind in a backpack, and then it's in the vehicle with them and they get out of the vehicle and hopefully they're taking it with them, taking it with them into their place of work or their place of business or whatever, provided they're allowed to do so. And so that's kind of the, the concept we're getting at here. And the, and the idea is, is having, I think we're going to focus a little bit more on the idea of having a secondary firearm option besides the one that you might carry with you or on your person. Uh, but the idea of having, hey, that's the gun that I can run to and grab to then use in some kind of a defensive event. And, uh, so essentially there you go. A little brief definite, somewhat brief definition of a truck gun. And what we mean by that as, as part of today's topic of discussion. Now the question Mm -hmm. might be, well, you know, how, how useful is that? Um, but actually, why don't we go ahead and you got some, some statistics, Jacob, because I think it's probably really relevant to discuss right now. Uh, that there's definitely some recognized risks of having a quote-unquote truck gun, particularly one that you are unable to take with you everywhere, 
or that you frequently leave in the vehicle for extended periods of time. <clears throat> yeah. There's, I, I was looking for some data on this, and I found lots of research from individual municipalities. So, for example, in the city of Denver, you know, where Riley and I roughly live, we're, in, we're technically not in Denver County, but Denver County, you know, reported something like 700 guns stolen from cars uh, last year. So, that's a, that's a lot of guns stolen from cars. I found uh, probably the most comprehensive research, or at least the research that everyone seems to be citing is actually from, uh, I'll call it a political gun enemy, which is every, every town for gun safety. But every town back in uh, 2022, they did some research where they basically analyzed uh, FBI crime data. They specifically uh, looked at a certain number of cities. Let me see if I can remember. Uh, let's see. 271 small to large size cities across 38 states. I don't know what cities. I don't know how they chose those cities. And that obviously could throw a wrench in some of the data. But, you know. Bear, let's let's keep rolling here. Uh, they looked at these st- these cities, these 271 cities in 38 states over the course of two years, basically 2019 and 2020. And uh, the population total of these cities is 49 million. So you could, if you want, I mean, you could consider that a, a relatively large uh, portion of America, right? I mean, it's not half, it's not a quarter, but it's it's a pretty significant sample group if we're looking at it that way. Okay, so sure. <clears throat> basically. The analysis uh, looked at 2020, which is a weird year. 2020 is COVID year. Uh, You have a lot of civil unrest going on, but you also have people quarantined, staying at home. So anyway, it's kind of a weird year. But for whatever it's worth, in 2020, uh, they estimated 77,000 guns reported stolen in those 271 cities. Okay. Uh, probably that doesn't represent all the stolen guns because plenty don't get reported, right? But but 77,000 guns reported stolen in 271 cities in the year of 2020. And um, what was really interesting is that of those, uh, a little over half, 52% of them were stolen from a car. So 52%, <laughs> let me put this in context for you. What that means is that in those 271 cities, right, representing 50 million people, in one year, just in those cities, a gun was stolen from a car every 15 minutes on average. Right, basically forty thousand guns in one year, in the, in just those two hundred seventy one cities, um, and that's obviously a huge increase. And we've seen that, uh, and we've reported on that. You know, theft from uh, of guns from cars and carjackings and vehicle related crime is, despite a lot of other crime statistics, getting better in the last decade. Vehicle related crime is actually going up quite a bit, um, and, and certainly that's true here. It, it suggested from some of the other research I read that gu- the, you know stealing guns from cars, specifically, uh, if we can get more specific, cars parked in front of residences, stealing guns from cars parked in front of a residence, i.e., driveway, uh, you know, street, etc., in a residential area is the number one source of gun thefts in America today. So regardless if we're talking about, you know, the truck gun that I keep in there all the time or my concealed carry gun that I keep there in there all the time, you know, if we're talking about the, the practice of just keeping a gun in the car, then the first concern is that, uh, you know, gun theft from car is number one way bad people get guns. Yeah. That's a, a huge problem. 
Uh, and this, and this is where I think the great mm, debate or controversy comes up. I, I, I see it come up periodically in various online forums, discussions, comments, debates, etc. Where um, you know, I I know I know that a significant number of Americans uh, keep or store a firearm in their vehicle for extended periods of time. Uh, it is certainly their right to do so. Um, but just because it's your right doesn't mean it's the right thing to do or the, or maybe the responsible thing to do. Because uh, this is a this is a big problem when you look at the sheer number of, of firearms that, I mean, this is a, a gateway for, uh, for, for thieves to obtain guns that are have a high probability of being utilized in violent uh, events and, you know, in violent uh, attacks and, and robberies and burglaries and things going forward. And, and, and so we have to look at this, I think, holistically as concealed carriers, as gun owners, as, as, you know, second amendment loving Americans that, I mean, we care about preventing crime and violence from occurring. And it's not just about those instances that we are directly faced with. If we truly care about reducing violence and crime, then we need to be responsible with how we handle and transport and store firearms. Because if we are providing a, an opportunity that is easy for criminals to get hands on guns, then we're actually making our, our job more difficult down the road because we're, mm-hmm. we're providing an avenue for, for more guns to, to get out there um, in the, in the streets. And so, Anyway, point so there's is, a, there's a probability question there, right? Like, which is more probable, uh, me having a gun in my car that I am able to access in an efficient enough manner and timeline in order to defend myself or another with said gun, or uh, is it more probable that my gun will be stolen from my car? Now, I'd say the probability is much higher that the gun be stolen from the car, but but you might say that's an acceptable risk. You know, I mean, there, there's an argument for, hey, I'm, I'm cool with my gun potentially getting stolen from the car so, so as to ensure that I have access to it. So I think we have to ask, you know, the, the next question is, well, how useful is it to have this gun in the car all, all the time? Yep. I do see uh, Triplex and AZ calling us out saying some, something we said is BS. Uh, but he said a lot of it is Tyrone getting baby mama to buy him a gun. Um Certainly, that happens too. Like we we know that kind of thing happens as far as criminals getting a, a at least so far non criminal someone that's not prohibited yet to you know to buy them a gun so that they can then go use it in a crime. That certainly happens too. I'm not we're not saying that doesn't happen, but we are saying that that this is a a problem. As many guns get stolen out of vehicles, that's a relatively easy problem to solve and prevent if we simply stop leaving them in vehicles for extended periods of time. So how useful is the truck gun? Well, I think this is relatively, from a factual basis, Jacob, relatively easy question to answer. Uh, and I see. By, I think by useful, we mean like how likely is it that we are going to use and be able to access a gun that we keep in the vehicle for the purpose uh, to then, you know, basically essentially go to vehicle, grab gun, and then use in, def- in a, some kind of defensive action. Um, those kind of incidents don't happen very often. 
they, they in fact they hardly ever happen. Um, I can think of one specific story where an individual specifically went to and it happened in North Carolina. We talked about it on the podcast a little bit. I can't remember the the exact specifics on it, the, exactly when it happened or whatever, whatnot. But I remember it was in North Carolina, and there was uh, uh, an incident t- taking place inside a, a, a store. And a man went to his vehicle, retrieved his rifle, and went into the store. And if I recall, I don't even think there was any shots fired once he did that. I think by him getting his rifle and going back in the store, um, uh, you know, there. I think maybe perhaps as a threat of force, that individual stopped doing what they were doing. Um, but that is a that is a uh, one of the few specific instances that I can recall, Jacob, where something like this occurred, where violent activity taking place somewhere causes an individual to go to a car and actually get a gun that they then, you know, and, and by this specifically, like more like a rifle. I, I would say there's a little more evidence of people retrieving a pistol from a vehicle. We see in a few instances of that. Um, heck, the most, the famous uh, shooting in Texas back in what, like the nineties um, in the cafe. Um, i trying to remember what, what the name of that one was. Um, but, uh, you know, there's a woman that I can't even think of her name now either that has become kind of this prominent second amendment activist whose parents were murdered in that cafe shooting in Texas. Yeah. Now, you know what I'm thinking about, like in that instance, um, there was somebody I think that went to a vehicle to get a gun. Um, and there was also another defensive incident in Oklahoma, um, a couple years ago where two men both went to their vehicles to retrieve handguns um, and then came, you know, came back to, it was a, also a restaurant um, where the, so, so there's a couple of instances, um, but the instances of like a major, like um, mass shooting taking place. I think mean, it's probably like the, the image a lot of people have in their minds is like, well, in the event that a mass shooting happens in, you know, this place I'm going to be today, um, you know, I've got this AR-15 stashed in my vehicle and I'm going to run to that and grab that and then go back in and, you know, save lives. Um, that doesn't happen hardly ever. Well, there's, I think there's two different factors here. Like <clears throat> Riley, I think you would agree with me on this, that like we are advocates for if gun needed, like get gun where can get gun. Absolutely. Right. Like if, 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 if the situation calls for a gun uh, and, and the one you are most easily able to access is the one in your car, like go get the gun, man. Um, and I'm glad it's in the car so you can go fetch it. So like, there's no question of that. I, I think that there, there's a couple of different things we have to dial deeper on this. Cause I'm not blatantly saying that you should never have a gun in a car. Like that's not what I'm trying to mm-hmm. communicate. Um, and 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 so please stick with us because that's not like we're going to break this down a little bit further here. But a couple considerations: this idea that my handgun that I have on me is the tool I'm going to use to fight my way to my big gun in my truck. That seems to be the stereotypical idea that follows the truck gun concept. And I think that's what you're talking about, Riley, is this idea that like that that is functionally highly improbable. Uh, well, that you're going to be in a, such a prolonged gunfight that right. requires so much ammunition, uh, et cetera, that you're going to need to fight your way to the truck to get the gun to do the thing. Or that I, you're. I frankly in- think it's borderline fantasy. 
Yeah, yeah, for a lot of people, totally. And and one step closer to reality is this idea of I'm in some sort of prolonged, uh, you know, massacre, mass casualty event that requires that I it's I can justify the time necessary to go run to the vehicle and retrieve the firearm and then come back into the fray. <clears throat> that that is one step closer to 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 reality, but highly unlikely. I think that if if the argument is the first argument that has to be made here. The important one is that there can be no doubt, and it requires no amount of research or data. I mean, just straight up obvious logic here that having a gun on you is preferable. So if you're having to choose between, you know, having a gun on you or having it in the vehicle, clearly having it on you is better. I don't have to convince anybody of that. Uh, I mean, we could we could reference endless news stories that we've covered on this podcast of people who've had to retrieve the gun from somewhere in their house. Right, some sort of home invasion incident, and they had to go get the gun from whatever other room or something. That happens all the time. Uh, so there's definitely no doubt that having it on you is better. Um, however, if you the 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 like that's not in debate here. The things we're talking about is well, is having a secondary additional gun in the vehicle viable? And if I can't have gun on me for whatever reason, or just choose not to, then is having one in the vehicle a an acceptable next best practice yeah well certainly we can recognize that there's times and places where maybe for whatever reason we're not able to take the gun that we normally would have on our person with us into a a specific space and so in that context we might be inclined to think well i'm going to have that out there um, as an option you know even if it's a a low likelihood of of occurring um but then we still need to, you know, give some thought and care to how we are storing said gun, you know, safely and responsibly. I think we can come back and touch on that a little bit. I think the other thing here to uh, to touch on uh, a little bit, Jacob, uh, just kind of response to what you were just uh, covering there, is um, actually that that thought phew, it just flittered away. I had a I had a good thought, a good follow up there, um, but like just talking about the. Like, like, think through the likely scenarios where you would, where you might retrieve a gun from a, your vehicle and then use it. It's not going to be something that happens suddenly and instantaneously because there's simply not enough time, right? Um, you know, unless it's on your person or within immediate reach and probably most likely a pistol of some sort, you're not able to, I'm talking, you're not able to use that and respond to a sudden threat quickly enough. If it's a, a quote unquote truck gun, you know, a rifle, let's say. Um, and so I don't know how much, how often people think through some of these scenarios or imagine the kinds of uh, situations they'll find themselves in. Um, but I think, I do think a, there's a lot of kind of myth and somewhat, fantasy involved in some people's thinking as to what you know why they do what they do again it's your right to do so and i fully support support people's right to own possess carry uh their their guns with them however they they wish um but as we have done since day one on this podcast we will still call for uh responsible gun ownership responsible training responsible use because i mean Rights come with responsibilities, right? Rights say that, yeah, you may do this thing, but because we value that freedom which we have and we enjoy, 
we then need to take care of it and sort of, you know, cultivate it. Um, and it's very easy to, to potentially, I mean, it, it creates a case to lose said rights if, um, if we are not responsible. I'd much rather we find solutions to societal level problems uh, our, ourselves than have the government tell us what we must do. I think most people would be in agreement on that. Yeah, let's let's uh, let's talk about the how because I think that's a super valid yeah. point you brought up, right? So, you know, there's likely highly responsible ways, or at very least, significantly more responsible ways to to store or to stage a firearm in a vehicle than others. And so, I think that's got to be part of this conversation: is that yeah, if I stuff a gun under my seat or in the glove box or just hanging out in the console of the truck, then uh, I. For me, I would call that highly irresponsible, um, pretty much. Without, I'm sure there's some exceptions where it's probably you know relatively okay. Um, you know, parked in my garage, it's probably relatively okay. Uh, if I locked, if I locked the car locked in garage, you know, garage door closed, like I suppose I don't know what the real risk is in that, but but in, in average everyday life, I'd, I'd call that probably relatively irresponsible. Uh, but you can let's you know you can buy things that are that you know. Our, our vehicle design, specific designed, uh, we've talked about console vault uh, here on, on this podcast before. And there's other comparable products that, you know, you go to the website and you say, oh, I have an X vehicle. I got a 2016 Tacoma, you know, double cab. And it says, oh, yeah, we got, you know, this product that, you know, replaces the console area and it's got the lock on it. Or maybe sometimes they're biometric or they're digital keypad. You know, old school, I think they were mostly key driven. Um that was that, you know, was pretty common. I've seen some that are designed to go under the seat very specifically. Oh, and your Ford, whatever, 150, you, you know, this thing slides under X seat and locks into place by attaching to whatever things under, you know, and, and boom, you're good to go. So, so there's things that are built into the vehicle that are relatively secure. I think that the average car burglary um, is not going to uh, put those kinds of things at risk. Um, any more than someone breaking into your house and a gun being in the safe in the house. It's, it's relatively, you know, higher level of security. Uh, doesn't make it exempt from potential theft, mm-hmm. but that makes it high, relatively high security. But, but for me, the challenge with those things, Riley, is that it, it's at odds then with accessibility. Like I'm trying to understand what the, what the practical application that is of this gun. I, you know, I, I want to keep a gun in my car all the time um, because, you know, Whatever thing might happen, I'm going to run out to my car and get my gun. So I bought the thing, and it's you know I've retrofitted this thing, and I mean <clears throat> you can defeat some of these gun safes pretty quickly. So I'm not naive about that. Uh, certainly, that's true of the ones I have in my home, for example. But it certainly is not then going to provide me a gun uh, in in you know a quick all of a sudden out of nowhere road rage incident like the Uber driver in Florida who's just cruising down the road. And a minivan cuts him out off. Two dudes jump out the side door of the minivan and start shooting at him. Like you ain't getting the gun out of the console vault probably fast enough to respond to that one. So I, I maybe I'm wrong yeah. about that, but my point well, is that, there's there's balance. That was my point to talking about like think through this. Like your your truck gun uh, is not the gun you're using in that kind of inc- incident, like what you just described, because it's not even if it's. Like, even if I had my rifle, like, sitting, like, wedged between the seat and the center console of my vehicle, like, in the passenger's, uh, you know, side there, um, 
which I've seen some people do, like they'll kind of wedge it in there, right? Wedge it in between the seat. Like that's still not a gun that I'm going to be able to just grab quickly and go to, you know, go to work on a sudden um, imminent threat. Like that's, that's what I have the gun on my waistband for. Right. Um, and so I think anytime we're talking about, you know, a, a gun that's like stored in the vehicle for some kind of response, it's, it's not an immediate response tool. Um, it, it is more of that. Well, if I was in this prolonged fight of some kind and I have this, this moment of time where I'm able to go to vehicle, unlock my storage safe vault, whatever thing and pull my rifle out. Okay. You know, that that's, that's all I can really think about. Uh, I did want to mention, you know, there's a couple of really solid solutions. Uh, truck vault. It's probably one of the more well-known uh, options, a number of storage solutions that are, you know, uh, pretty secure. Um, Another one is uh, that I've come across is called Boss uh, Strongbox, uh, which you know kind of similar to Truck Vault in some respects. They got some some pretty clever like underneath or beneath the seat uh, storage options, which I think is kind of cool. Um, there's a company called uh, uh, um, Oh, where'd it go? Oh, Southwest uh, Solutions or Southwest Storage Solutions, kind of similar concept. Again, kind of more like steel boxes that very often you're going to find like in the back uh, cargo area of an SUV or maybe in the bed of a pickup truck and that kind of thing. Um, maybe in a trunk of a, of a car, you know, those kinds of things. Um, so, so those, you know, those are some, I think, viable, responsible solutions. But we could also just briefly touch on that many of us find ourselves in situations like anytime I go to, say, the post office, Jacob, uh, you you know this. I mean, technically, hey, post office, pseudo-governmental property, um, guns prohibited, not even supposed to, like, pull into their parking lot, you know, with my gun. And uh, so I'll park on the street. It's a pain in the butt. And gun comes out of or holster and gun will come out of the waistband and stick it in a little pistol vault in my vehicle and, uh, you know, go about my business. That's the best I can do in the moment, you know, and that, but it's not, I don't even see that as a long-term storage solution because, uh, cause it's relatively easily, you know, defeated. Um, but it's the best I can do. It's the most responsible I can be in the moment. I don't know. Any other thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think it's a valid point. I think that, Responsible gun ownership, certainly I should say, responsible concealed carry lifestyle generally requires having some form of, you know, secure firearm storage of the vehicle, at least for temporary use. So, yeah, that's that's a weird like juxtaposition, right? On one hand, we're saying, I don't know how smart it is to keep a gun in the car all the time. Uh, and in, in order to do it responsibly, you kind of do it in a way that it's practically not very useful in the vast majority of situations for which you probably want to have it handy. And therefore, gun on person is always best practice. Um, on the flip side, then we're saying, but you definitely need to have some way to securely store that gun in the car temporarily for those situations where you go somewhere where you can't take it with you. And and I, I don't, you know, I, for me, that's not a conflict in my lifestyle. I think that I can manage both those things that seem... Um, counter positions at the same time and it doesn't bother me at all so yeah i I agree with that position i think uh kind of 
where where this brings us to now, um, you know, and I failed. I was going to actually a little bit ago. I was going to do a little uh, interlude, uh, talk about CCW Safe again, real quick. Sponsor of today's episode, CCWSafe.com. Uh, you know, we've been members of CCW Safe for a couple, several years now. Uh, members of their Ultimate Plan, uh, which is which I highly recommend. Solid coverage covers all the important things, uh, and plus, you know, they're going to back you. And I think that's hugely important. I think that's one thing when people are thinking about legal defense programs, they wonder maybe in the back of their mind, they're like, yeah, but are they really going to, you know, shell out cash and, you know, get pay for my attorney and all this stuff and st- stick by me all the way through a trial. And I'll just say like CCW safe is the one that you know, will do that because they've already done that uh, for members including some in some kind of difficult situations case-wise. Yeah. Many times over, yeah. I, I was just looking at a Reddit forum the other day that that someone asked for this, you know, the advice on the gun insurance, you know, self-defense insurance thing. And there were several commenters. I was very surprised about the base that all these organizations are a, a sham. None of them will actually protect you. All of them have disclaimers that allow them to never cover you ever um, you know, and I, and I was reading these just like, what, like, have you read their, like, I've read their agreements. And one guy even posted something about, you know, XYZ organization will not protect you. Um, uh, if you're in the process of committing a crime and since you're being charged with a crime, therefore they never have to protect you kind of thing. And, um, you know, I'm no lawyer. I, I can't read between the lines. What I, what I can tell you from just straight up experience is that the guys at CCW safe, back their members every time they possibly can and that they get calls, they get claims from members, you know, for lack of a better word, claims, people calling who are post incident needing, you know, legal and financial support. They get those calls um, daily, several a day on average, and that they take all of them and they respond to each of them as if it is life and death serious. And they, because it are, is, yeah, and they're ready to go. I mean, these guys, there are five different people who, the second a phone call comes in, five people on that team get a text message saying, we just got a call. Um, here, you know, Here's the relevant you know, details of who it is. And then immediately that team kicks into response and, and is looking at, okay, do we need to put someone on a plane? Do we need to start, you know, make calls to find a local attorney in their area for them? Um, you know, like they, they are immediately kicking into response. So I can't speak to, to all the companies to that level of detail, but I can tell you these guys are ready to go to, go to bat. Yep. Uh, we, we, we've seen that. In fact, we've been to dinner with these, some of these guys and, and seen uh, messages like that come through and, and like you, you see how they seriously take that and are ready to mobilize in a moment at a moment's notice uh, should it be required. So CCW safe. Uh, they got your back. Check them out, ccwsafe.com. And while we're taking the break here, again, Mountain Med Medical, new Be Ready Sun Shirts, available now, mountainmedical.com forward slash sun shirt. Really cool. I wish I actually was sporting one today. So you could kind of see here, those of you watching the video feed, but they're they're super cool, super stylish. I like them. In fact, I, I wore mine during the Guardian Conference. I wore mine during the Active Self Protection National Conference. I wore it again last week in Ohio, shooting the uh, production USPSA Production National Championship. Uh, so good looking sun shirt. Uh, together with the we have the also the KSG Armory sun shirt. It's a fine choice too. But check out the new Mountain Man Medical 
be ready sunshirt today at mountainmanmedical.com forward slash sunshirt. So as I was starting to set up for um, talking about kind of more the the tactics side of this, I think kind of the response side, some considerations there, Jacob, and and where I want to start with this part of the discussion is, and and this actually was the thought that I kind of forgot about earlier. I was going to bring it up then. Um, when we when we're talking about the idea of oh incident occurring, let me go to my vehicle and get my gun. There's another piece of the question we have to like we if we have to ask this question, it's only fair to ask the question. And the question is, should I go back in to this situation? Should I involve myself? Now we all have to answer that question for ourselves. Um, and it's certainly context and situationally dependent. But that's a fair question that needs to be asked is, hey, I just extricated myself by getting to my vehicle where obviously I have the time and it's relatively safe for me to now take the time to grab this gun. But now, should I go back in? Yeah, I, I don't know that I have more to add than what you said that it's situationally dependent. And it's a personal choice. <clears throat> I mean, geez, right? I mean, it's just... <laughs> Yeah, you know, I'm thinking, you know, a common one that's been on my mind lately is like sh- uh, violence at church. You know, we got a lot of church shootings. You know, we had the one in Charleston. We have the one in Sutherland Springs. Uh, we had a, a pretty you know, significant one down here at a New Life Church uh, south of Riley and I many years ago, uh, just north of Colorado Springs. Yep. So, you know, I, as I analyze those events and think, okay, if you're one of the people in the congregation who's got to run to the gun, um, are you able to do so? If you're lucky enough to be able to get out of there and go do so, you know, should you now be running back in? I don't know. Uh, I think those are, I mean, I think for myself personally, I think, well, you know, is, is my family in there? Cause that would obviously be a deal breaker. Um, though now I'm wondering why I abandoned my family in gunfire to extract myself, to go get the gun. That seems like, you know, that's a separate conversation we, we should be but thinking in, through. But in some churches, your, your children might be in uh you know, sure, a separate part of the program. building or something. Right, yeah, right. sure. Church yeah, so I can see that. Yeah. Right. So, and that's what we mean by like context and situationally dependent. All right, right. There's all these things that get really complex. What I do think is thinking through these things in advance is the correct thing. And so you bringing it up and allowing, uh, you know, the listener, the viewer here to be thinking, you know, about these different situations. Oh, I'm, I'm at the I'm at the mall, or oh, I'm in I'm in church, or I'm at work. You know, and what what happens? What am I going to do now? Each person needs to think through that a little bit and and consider what would be the deal breakers for you. What are the things? And there are some of you who are like, I, I mean, the deal breaker is human lives are at risk. And so I'm in, like I'm charging toward the gunfire. And to that, I say, awesome. Like, love you. Go be a hero. Uh, but I don't think that if you, if that's not your decision, you're a bad person. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I mean, my number one objective in life, like my number one mission in all circumstances is to ensure my children still have a father. So, <clears throat> yeah, and, and that requires I have children. So if they die, that that jeopardizes my number one objective. And if I die, that jeopardizes my number one objective. So that's my hierarchy of choice at all times. But each person gets to have their own hierarchy of choice. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, you know, great, great comments from our, our friend Clover Tack. Uh, in fact, you should always check out his uh, his, his own YouTube channel. Uh, which you just search Clover Tack, one word, and you'll find him. Uh, 
you know, he's he's adding his own input where he very much mirrors your own Jacob's Jacob, where he says, you know, it's not my responsibility to be responsibility to protect everyone around me. It's my responsibility to protect me and my family, those people I care about. Um, you know, once I'm out, I am done, and my goal is to get out, not to engage unless absolutely necessary. So he's thought this through for himself, and I think that that's wise. Uh, and in his final comment here, I, I'm, I'm reading this because I think it's it's worthwhile enough to share, including for those who are not viewing the the video feed. Uh, all choices people should reflect on and be confident in before something ever happens. That's why we're having this discussion. Is like, hey, here's some things going on and things to think about and. Here's some considerations and choices that you should make, and you should make these choices ahead of time, so you're not standing there in the moment going, "Wait, what am I going to do?" What, you know, wasn't expecting this. Now, now what? You know, so you want to have this figured out ahead of time as best you can. You know, I, I think very similarly because again, I've got five beautiful, wonderful children whom I dearly love. A wife, I want to be there for them. Um, it's I have a contract with them as their husband and father to be there for them, to take care of them, to 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 raise them, and to you know make their lives the best that it can be. I also can understand and relate with those that feel like they would almost have to live in shame in front of their family and their wives and children. If, uh, you know, if, if they could have done something and failed to do so, I can understand that perspective. Again, we're all wired differently. We all have different ideas and thoughts uh, and, and priorities, and we need to understand these things. Uh, again, I think that decision for me will be very much, um, it's going to de- depend on where I am, who I'm with, who I need to protect. And, uh, in that, you know, I've got, uh, I guess, uh, an algorithm of sorts, personally speaking, that I think helps guide me through some of that decision-making should I ever find myself in some kind of situation like that. Here's the final piece, I think, Jacob, and that is thinking about how your own response, especially in today's world where it's, um, not, not, not relatively uncommon. Uh, I still don't think they're that common in an event when we really like look at it holistically, but um, it's not that uncommon to see mass shootings taking place where the weapon of choice is some kind of semi-automatic rifle. Uh, so let's suppose I went, went to my vehicle because something legitimate's happening here, you know, even a mass shooting, let's say. So I go to my vehicle, grab my own rifle, because that's the weapon of choice when I'm going up against something like, you know, somebody else that has a rifle like that. I grab my rifle and now I'm going back in. All right. Okay. Am I going to be mistaken for the bad guy by not just law enforcement, by, by, but by fellow concealed carriers, um, other people that might come across me. They, they just know somebody's in the area shooting and they know that somebody's using a rifle and they're maybe, they're probably not expecting somebody to have ran to a vehicle, grabbed a rifle and they're running back in with it. Yeah, I wouldn't have thought of that for this discussion unless you'd brought it up. And I think it's super valid. Um, and, you know, I've talked about that when I was a guest on another podcast uh, last year. But yeah, there's no doubt whatsoever that having a rifle in your hand does make you look like the bad guy. Um, now, I think that looking like the bad guy or not is not the number one objective. So we have to deal with number one objective first, which is end threat. If, if that's your intention, right? If that's the reason you're rushing in there with a the rifle, then there's, I mean, 
Is there any doubt for this audience that with very, very few exceptions, the rifle is the preferred tool when dealing with a deadly threat? Like I think all of us are pretty much on on like with with limited exceptions, too limited to to justify for this conversation. A carbine is probably your most efficient tool to stopping deadly attacks. Like that's that seems like a no-brainer. So if your uh, number one objective is must go stop deadly threat, and I have to choose between a rifle and a handgun, rifle the number one choice. But yes, I think that there is some reality of understanding that that does make you look like a threat uh, to you know to to other you know, responding people and or cops. There are effectively, I, I don't know of any sort. I, I can't think of a story. I'm not aware of a single incident ever in which a CCWer has mistaken an additional CCW as a bad guy and engaged them as such. I'm not aware if that's ever happened. Uh, I am aware, and, and Riley obviously is as well, of situations where cops have accidentally engaged CCWers because they thought they were bad guys. I don't think they're common. Um, I don't think it happens very often, but it can happen. And, and the, the one that I know of that happened most recently, pretty tragic, right here in my town where I live, where I'm sitting right now here in Arvada, Colorado, where the CCW responded to deadly threat, engaged the threat, stopped the threat, and then picked up the bad guy's rifle and had it in hand when other officers arrived on scene and gunned him down. So he definitely looked like the bad guy. He was the one holding the rifle. So I think that's a valid a valid comment. Uh, but I do think it's secondary on the list of priorities. If I got to end the threat, rifle is the best tool. So if that's what I got available to me, and that's my number one objective, I'm going to go hunting. Yeah, and that was the Johnny Hurley um, shooting. Uh, you know, the fellow that was the CCWer that was gunned down by uh, responding police. Uh, pretty tragic. And in fact, prior to that incident, I think I, I think I would have been hard pressed to even point you to an incident where cops even you know mistook a CCWer as a bad guy. Um, that, but that one definitely is very uh, very notable and very fresh in the mind. Uh, unfortunately, uh, I think the, my, my final two cents on that, Jacob would be, I, I, th- I just think that it's something worth thinking through and understanding the risks. Um, and then also understanding that while the carbine certainly would be my weapon of choice, my firearm of choice, um, to go into any kind of, you know, gunfight, um, there are some distinct advantages of, of having something a bit more compact. Um, there's definitely some ways, some techniques I could employ as a CCW or with just a simple, like I can, I could still be effective with a handgun and I can present a lower profile with a handgun and uh, reduce potentially some of that risk to me, to myself. Um, whereas it's pretty hard to miss a dude, you know, running around or carrying a rifle. Um, so, so just some other things to consider there. And less people think that you are completely ineffective against a rifle with a handgun. We know that's not true. All we have to do is look to any number of incidents, um, including, you know, very fresh in the mind would be um, Eli uh, Dickin, right? Who went up against a rifle wielding attacker and shot him with a plain old Glock. So, um and I think another final note here is, hey, if you consider that truck gun, and in this context, a rifle, uh, something import- that's important to you, as well as your concealed carry pistol, you should be probably practicing with, 
with any of those tools that you might be prepared to use? Mm. And are you doing that? So, yeah, yeah, super valid. Yeah, my final thought would be that um, for me, this we get into all this murky water a little bit because the user is unwilling to just have a gun on their person. Like to me, that's that's where this gets murky. Like the problem solved by just having a gun in your pants. Um, then you don't need to run to the vehicle unless you are in that really weird, awkward, prolonged fight, uh, which, which, to your point, Riley, basically sounds like a fantasy. Um, but okay, have gun on you, solve problem. Um, and then secondarily, it, hey, if you're a person who's like Jacob and Riley dudes are idiots, and I don't think it's true that's how you know criminals get guns and so i'm not too worried about theft and or i just i can't take a gun with me basically anywhere i go so having it in my car is my only option and that's what i'm going to do like if, if you're in that ballpark where you just decided for whatever reason um that you feel that the right thing for you is to have a gun in the car that's fine all good but do it well do it properly store it effectively um spend the money necessary to make that to make that effective amen cool i i like it I think this is a good discussion today. I hope it, I hope you all enjoyed it just as much. Hey, folks, don't forget you can always reach out to us. Contact us at podcast at concealedcarry.com. That's a, our email address. It comes to um, all three of us hosts of the Concealed Carry Podcast. And we do encourage you to share and spread the word of the Concealed Carry Podcast with your friends, family, and coworkers, and anyone else that you care to do so. If you find value in this podcast, we hope that you'll help spread the word. Uh, like, subscribe, share, etc. Thank you very much for all you do and for supporting us in this endeavor. Until next time, a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. <laughs>